This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu for more information. Ask any CEO or senior level executive what his or her biggest challenge is, and the answer is almost always finding and keeping good people. Yet most executives fail to manage their company's needs in a way that recognizes the unpredictability of the global marketplace. In a book titled Talent on Demand, Managing Talent in an Age of Uncertainty, Peter Capelli, director of Wharton's Center for Human Resources, proposes a new approach to this issue, and that is to apply the principles of supply chain management to people. He is here today to talk about his ideas, including the challenge of managing the workforce in a recessionary economy. Joining him is Joyce Bradley, Senior Vice President General Manager of the Delaware Valley region of Lee Hecht Harrison, a global human capital consulting firm headquartered in Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Peter and Joyce, thanks for joining us. Peter, could you define talent management and then summarize your approach to thinking about how it relates to supply chain management? So talent management is a, a simple issue, and that is we're trying to anticipate what the needs and the demand will be for people, for human capital, uh, into the future, and then setting up some sort of plan for meeting it. So it's pretty simple. It's the same problem that you see in lots of different parts of business. What do we think we're going to need? How are we going to go about meeting that the complication is in the old days, uh, this was really seen as a sort of engineering problem. Um, and that is, things were thought to be quite predictable. If you went back to the days of regulation, for example, where companies were pretty sure they knew what they were going to be making 10 years out or so, they could just work backwards and say, this is our product demand 10 years out. These are the products we're going to be making. These are the skills we're going to need in order to produce those products. Let's just work backwards. And the, the other uh, assumption was that all your talent was internal. You'd hire people right out of college or right out of school, you'd put them in apprentice programs or development programs, and then you'd work them through those processes to develop the skills that you had. So we had these big bureaucratic systems uh, that were based on the assumption of certainty that you knew what you were going to need and you could just work backwards and build to that. So the problem now is all that assumption of certainty is gone. Product markets change so quickly. People hop from company to company, and you can't be sure what the demands are going to be, and you can't be sure what the supply is, at least your internal supply. So we have to go about thinking uh, about this issue differently. And there are a series of techniques that come from fields like supply chain management that are designed specifically to deal with us, this uncertainty, and so that's what we're thinking about doing, how to manage the uncertainty of the process. Joyce, you're out there every day dealing with companies and employees. What do you hear about the problems they have with talent management? Well, I think uh, talent management is a good descriptor of how many companies are approaching their talent pools and their human resources uh, today in this market. What we're seeing is that many companies are looking at it from a holistic perspective, from not only recognizing talent and selecting talent, but um, uh, hiring talent, retaining those same people, developing those people, keeping them engaged, and at the appropriate time, redeploying and transitioning. So it's more of a holistic approach. It ties into Peter's um, descriptor of what's happening in the marketplace. And I think the, the whole area of leadership development is really intensified as a result 
of what's happening in the demographics and the mergers and acquisitions and the productivity demands. Maybe just one uh, additional thought on that. The reason why this matters so much to companies is that when you make mistakes, it's really costly. It is. That is, you don't have the no enough people to get the work done, or we're seeing that more now. You have too many people, and you either are losing them and losing the investments in them, or you have to lay them off, which is expensive and traumatic. Yes. But now when, you're, when you think about supply chain management, you think about widgets, you know, people mm -hmm. sort of moving inventory and moving it out. Mm -hmm. Is there a downside to thinking about people as widgets, you know, that are, that, you know, have to be canceled, have to be pre-ordered, maybe they're overstocked? I mean, is there, is there some kind of dehumanizing involved in, in this approach? Uh, certainly could be. And, uh, you know, there's a long history of dehumanizing employees in the, in the workplace. But I think these are decisions that get made anyway. That is, companies have to think about how many people are we going to hire. Um, they have to think about are we going to lay people off and how many are we going to lay off. They have to think about are we going to develop people and how many are we going to develop. And at the moment, uh, most companies, the survey results show, they're, they're sort of just doing that by flipping coins. Uh, so they're making those decisions anyway, and the problem is they're just not making them with any kind of logic behind them. Um, the survey evidence shows, and maybe you've seen some of this too, that about mm -hmm. two-thirds of companies do no <laughs> planning uh, for workforce issues at all. So they're just making these decisions ad hoc without any thought behind them. So it, I th I'd like to think the way we're pursuing this is thoughtful versus not thoughtful, uh, as opposed to widgets versus humans. <laughs> Yeah, and I think uh, to add to Peter's point, I think the way you create your corporate culture as a leader is playing more and more into the retention of talent and the attraction of talent. Uh, people are looking, going online and looking at mission statements and vision statements and trying to understand what kind of organization this is and what their values and what their, their ethics are and trying to determine whether that's a good fit for them. And on the flip side, the companies are looking for people that will fit into their culture. So it's, it's a, a, a really important issue, I think. The Labor Department recently reported that the U.S. economy shed 80,000 jobs in March, which is the biggest drop in five years. What kind of challenge does that pose for a company that knows it has to lay some people off but doesn't want to gut its workforce? Well, maybe uh, Joyce may say something in the middle of minute about uh, the layoff side per se, but I, I would say if you, if you took a step back and thought, how were you thinking about these issues before uh, the economy turned down? And I, I think the, the worst way to do it is to simply assume you know what the demand will be, um, and that is not recognized that there's uncertainty. So I, I think the model that I'm suggesting is one where we try to be adaptable and responsive to uh, the inevitable changes in demand, rather than just assume that we're going to plunge away. I think the the little bit of history here, what killed this old approach was um, the planning uh, um, efforts that went on in the 1970s when companies were expecting growth rates of about 5% a year, and they just planned for that, and the economy unexpectedly turned south. They had these long talent pipelines that were like 10 years long to produce people internally, uh, and then it turned out that, uh, you know, they were producing a lot more talent than they needed. The 1980s came along and they ended up having to lay everybody off and they got rid of all the functions for managing this. So I think the issue is to, before the recessions come, uh, to be responsive, to set up a system where you can be responsive to the changes that are happening and not just plunge blindly ahead with the assumptions about growth that you pretty much know aren't going to be very accurate.
To piggyback on what uh, Peter just mentioned, uh, what we talk about a lot is agility, and what we hear our leader leadership uh, folks in leadership talking about in companies is the agility of leaders to flex and to bend not only with the marketplace but with employees. We're in a situation now where we have multi-generations in the same workforce, multi-cultures. Um, leaders have to be able to address the needs of individuals, treat individuals as unique people in, in the workforce, and flex to the demands of the marketplace and meet those at the same time. So agility is really a, a key characteristic of leaders that we're seeing. And maybe we could just be concrete about an, an example about how you might do this. And, and that is, uh, if you think about the kind of talent, the amount of talent you're going to need in an organization, um, some of that you want to be developing internally. But the more you do that and develop internally, you're making a big investment and you're making taking on a pretty big amount of risk. Mm -hmm. And the risk is if we don't need these people, we've blown the investment. So you probably don't want to, if you think you're going to need, let's say, 100 people, and that's your best guess, but you're uncertain about it, you may not want to develop 100 internally. You might want to develop maybe 80 internally mm -hmm. and then expect to hire on the outside if you fall short of that. Uh, demand. And then maybe you might want to say, you know, we'll use some contingent work and some temporary help to close the gap as well, right? So that we are mm -hmm. building some adaptability into the system and not trying to meet our entire estimated demand simply with internal development, which is a big risk, a big upfront investment, and really expensive if you get it wrong. Okay. <clears throat> uh, Peter, in, in your book, you, you point out that many of the talent management techniques that are, quote, in vogue now, like 360-degree feedback and job rotation and long-range planning <clears throat> were actually used in the 1950s and 60s, but all those HR people are no longer here, so today's HR people think they're rediscovering or discovering something really new. What is new today? Is there any, are there any new techniques in talent management? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, if, you, uh, if you look at the kinds of things that are going on in employee development anyway, I haven't seen anything that's new. It's just action learning, executive coaching, all the things that are popular now were big in the 1950s. Um, so I haven't seen anything new on the employee development side. I'd say the, uh, if you look at the things which are different, um, First of all, the place you'd look for this is not really in the U.S. anymore. I don't think we're the leaders on this. And I think the reason is other countries with bigger talent management challenges than we have um, are actually doing more creative things. I think in India, for example, uh, companies are doing more creative things. Uh, and they're thinking more systematically about it. And part of it is they don't have the old paradigm that they're locked into. Uh, I think there are some new things uh, we see even in the U.S. on forecasting. And that is moving away from attempts to forecast talent demand to simulate talent demand, and that is give us a series of assumptions or scenarios, and we'll tell you what the likely talent implications are of that. So we're getting a sense of the robustness um, of our estimates around uncertainty. And we're seeing some things in terms of um, technology that allow companies to better keep track of the talent they have, keep records of who has what sorts of skills, find ways to match up people with projects. So we're seeing, I'd say that's really the, the new stuff. It's not about talent development, where there doesn't seem to be much new. It's about uh, moving people around, allocating the jobs, uh, and thinking about career paths. There's some new things there, a lot of it enabled by technology. Joyce, are you hearing anything or seeing anything from the companies and employees you deal with? Well, I think um, Peter is exactly on target with what he was saying. I see that people as employees are 
in a situation where they need to take more charge of their own careers. The days are gone where you would uh, be tapped on the shoulder and say, here's your next career move, you know, good luck, and and uh, you move up the ladder. First of all, they're, they're, the ladders are much flatter, and uh, there are more people competing for the, the top jobs. So people, employees in a workplace, have to manage their careers by polishing their skills, keeping uh, sharp, keeping their networks open, making sure their reputation is impeccable, keeping their performance at, at top levels. And all these things play into keeping these people engaged, especially the top talent that you have, keeping them engaged and retained in the organization because those people are the exact people that are uh, the ones that recruiters are looking at, and they have more opportunities outside of the organization. Joyce, I think we're, we're agreeing on too many things here. Maybe I we know. ought to do Let's this like find a Sunday TV can. shows and just disagree <laughs> for the sake of disagreeing. So. Um, well, well, we'll try that as we go along. <laughs> okay. uh, Joyce, in an earlier conversation, you said that uh, given the fact that there's so many acquisitions and, and global developments, et cetera, that employers are looking not for loyalty but for commitment from their employees. I think there's a subtle distinction there, but can you explain what you mean? Yes. Um, Exactly. In the past, in the 80s, 70s and 80s, employers were looking, and before that, you heard the term lifetime employment, and people felt pretty secure that they can come into a, a job, start working there, work for 30 or 20 or 30 years, retire with a pension. And they were loyal to that organization for that reason. Uh, with the shift in what's happening in the workplace and the mergers and acquisitions and companies have had to downsize and right-size and separate people, uh, people now are not expected to be loyal to that organization. In fact, um, people who are loyal very often um, are the ones whose skills get rusty and, you know, they don't keep up with the technology changes and with the skills required to and the demands of the new technology in the organization. So, so Joyce, when you say loyal, you mean um, that they're not actively managing their own career from their own interests, but they're sort of waiting for the employer to tell them what to do? That sort of yes, thing. and just relying on the employer to take care of them. Mm -hmm. You know, more of mm -hmm. a paternalistic yeah. culture and attitude and mindset. The commitment and, and what we tell people in transition is companies are looking for commitment. They can't assure you that you'll have a job for one year or five years or 20 years. But while you're there, they expect you to be totally committed and perform at top levels. And that's uh, the di distinction between that I see happening between loyalty and, and commitment. So just so I understand, uh, mm -hmm. too, so we're talking about commitment, we're talking about commitment to the work. To the work. Uh, as opposed to loyalty to the company. Just one little point of disagreement then, just mm -hmm. to get the Sunday news show going here. Okay. And that is, uh, I see sometimes at the very top of organizations, executives still talking about loyalty. Exactly. Uh, and I think the reason is they, they take it personally. I mean, they yes. want people to almost feel that they are loyal to them, to the yes. executive team. Yes. And it's a bit out of whack. I, f I think the, the farther down you go in the organization, the more people accept the idea that loyalty to the organization is dead and the mm -hmm. commitment to the project or the work is what's important. But up at the top of the organization, you still see people talking about loyalty and mm -hmm. uh, it's a mm -hmm. little, little, it's a little disconnect. Little yeah. disconnect yeah. yeah, it is. And I think um, just to, to comment on the, I didn't mean that loyalty 
was dead t totally. I mean, people go into an organization and they give their all and they're expected to give their all, but they can't rely on the fact that they'll be there for any mm -hmm. right. specific period of time. Do you, Peter, when you talk about this, this um, adherence to loyalty at the top of an organization, are you talking about mainly some of the big um, firms like GE um, or uh, Procter & Gamble, some of the big um, you know, U.S. Fortune 500 companies, well, rather yeah. than the smaller startup yeah. or technology companies? Or I think in, the, in some of the big companies, they're having a very hard time still um, letting go of this idea of loyalty to the corporation. Um, and they're still still holding on to it. I, I would say the executives um, seem to feel uh, this notion of personal loyalty to them and to their team and that sort of stuff, um, more or less across the board. I'm not sure it's any less in the smaller companies. In some ways, it might be even bigger in the smaller mm -hmm. companies because uh, they're less bureaucratic and there's more social ties uh, to people and less just professional. So it's, a, it's been a big transition in the country uh, to move away from a notion where people felt loyal to the organization and expected the organization to take care of them. You know, it's been playing out over the last 20 years, but it's been a tough transition mm -hmm. uh, on both sides, you know, for for the individuals who've obviously suffered more, but even the people who are in the corporations and expecting it among the new employees. I think, by the way, this is one of the big things that you hear uh, when people are complaining about generational issues. And that is that the young folks are coming in without having any history uh, of this long-term employment relationships, this idea of commitment. The folks who are in their 50s sort of grew up with some of that, saw it broke, but they haven't completely let go of it yet. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, the root of the divide. And I think that's the challenge for managers and leaders today. Because they're, going back to the, uh, the concept of agility, they're having to adapt uh, their management style to different kinds of mindsets right. and different people in, right. the, in the workplace. Right. What companies do talent management well and which don't? Well, I, I would say um, there are companies that are sophisticated about it and complex. And I'd say most of the old academy companies. Interestingly, this, this idea of what a, an academy company is and the idea that that phrase came popular maybe in the last uh, 15 years or so. Uh, and the idea that you would go there and learn and then move on to someplace else. The academy companies, General Electric, Procter & Gamble, companies like that, um, pretty much are doing what all the old companies used to do a generation ago. That is, they hire people, they train them, they develop them, they expect them to stay a long time. Um, so those companies, you know, are sophisticated. I'm not sure that what they're doing is makes necessarily sense for them, given the way the economy uh, has played out now. Um, there are companies that are sophisticated in the sense that they are uh, doing new things that seem more adapted to the contemporary environment. And I would say if you look at workforce planning, for example, Capital One, Dow Chemical, are companies that have been very good at figuring out how to do simulations to estimate what real demand will be and what the likelihood of different scenarios will be and how they'll play out. Uh, I'd say companies like Microsoft have been particularly good at um, trying to automate um, some of the issues of, comp of employee capabilities, standardize it, 
uh, let everybody know what individuals could do and do a little short-term planning on that. The professional service firms have been best at this, frankly. And the reason is uh, talent is everything for them. And McKinsey is very good at uh, developing and doing job assignments. EDS as a company has been very good at being able to quantify what individuals can do and match them up with tasks. Companies like Deloitte have been really clever, I think, about uh, helping employees manage their own careers and giving them sound and honest advice on these things, including uh, career coaching, which is pretty independent and objective, even will tell people sometimes time for you to go leave the company. Um, so I think the professional service firms are, are the new leaders in this area, in the U.S. anyway. Uh, corporations are lagging, I'd say. Um, and I would say other countries are more sophisticated about this than the U.S. because they got a bigger problem. Is there an example of a company in India that you feel is doing this The big well? companies are all doing interesting things. Wipro has been especially good at developing talent, I think, and uh, so is Infosys. Um, Infosys particularly good at uh, taking uh, raw material and developing people, um, you know, taking physicists and turning them into computer people. And uh, and they're both pretty good at doing workforce planning, that is estimating what they're going to need going forward and things. So um, I'd say they're all, you know, the big Indian companies are uh, able to, to have a blank slate. They didn't have a lot of legacy systems they had to deal with. And because the demands are so big, these companies are huge already. They're growing at 20% a year or so. There's a big shortage of educated folks uh, in an entry-level pool there. they got massive problems compared to the U.S. This is just a huge priority, and they're willing to put time and resources into thinking differently about it. Mm -hmm. I think um, from my perspective, too, in terms of talent management, uh, companies are really focused on several ways and several different approaches to developing talent and retaining talent. Uh, anything from something that, that Peter mentioned, executive coaching. Uh, we see executive coaching at all levels now, not just at the top. It used to be executive coaching. Now we're seeing coaching for the mid-level managers who are having, who are on the front line with employees and having to keep talent in their mm -hmm. companies. And at, even at the executive administrative assistant uh, levels we're seeing. We're also seeing a lot of team coaching. And the, the heart of the matter is, not to, to, uh, to repeat myself, but, but companies are trying or need to not only capture people's minds, but their hearts. They have to engage them. They have to keep them stimulated. They have to keep them challenged. They have to provide stretch assignments. So on, a, on an individual basis, they're doing some individual coaching. They're doing some team coaching from not only looking at a team as a set of individuals on a team, but as a system, you know, a team with a certain personality and mindset and, and culture and trying to engage that team. That might be virtual team. It might be a global team. So we see uh, talent being impacted at every level in the organization and leaders being called upon, even if you don't have the title, uh, leaders at all levels. Mm -hmm. People are looking for just a little historical reflection on this. This, of course, is the way all companies used to run a, a generation ago. It used to be that first line supervisors were assessed on how many of their subordinates got promoted and advanced, mm -hmm. part of their appraisals to develop their folks. Uh, that all died, um, and I would say uh, maybe this rings for you too. About maybe five years ago, um, after the labor market began to tighten in the 1990s, and companies got sick of just meeting their talent needs by outside hiring, too expensive, not working very well, can't find the people. They started to look internally, but at least initially it was only at the very top. 
that is maybe they were thinking about the director level and above. They were managing careers a little bit there and developing talent. But then the problem they began to realize is how do we get people into that top 10% group? And now they're starting to think about going back down. So in some ways, we're, we're, we're replaying the clock a little bit. Although I'd say in terms of, of what companies are actually doing now, it isn't very much planning going on. It's just efforts to develop people. And it's just uh, in contrast to a period just before where they did nothing. No succession plans, no career plans, no employee development. Just outside hiring, bringing people in, let them flounder. If they didn't work, fire them, bring in a new folk. Right. Well, uh, let me ask one last question. Peter, if there's one takeaway you want people to get from your book, what would that be? Buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say the, uh, the big uh, takeaway is to, uh, is to think about the environment in which you're in. Um, and that is, in most uh, companies, most organizations, the environment in which you're operating is pretty uncertain. And uh, if you think about what you should be doing, you have to sort of work backwards from the idea that we can't be completely sure what we're going to need going forward. Now, and as a result, we need to be a little more adaptable. Uh, we need to manage the uncertainty rather than just let it wash over us. Uh, there are big problems when you're wrong in these things. And so uh, I'd say the big takeaway is recognize the uncertainty, see if you can get your hands around how uncertain you are about your plans, and then see if you can do some things to, to manage that. Uh, I'd say we're someplace between the models now of hiring talent completely on the outside and trying to develop talent completely inside that either extreme is probably a mistake for most companies. And striking the balance between that is also one way to deal with the uncertainty, figuring out how much outside hiring to do, which is flexible uh, and sort of just in time, but it's also expensive and it doesn't fit your culture very well. So striking that balance is one way to manage the uncertainty. Great. Well, thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.